good morning. Good morning. All right. It is a good morning. It's the day the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Um, uh, Rick has commissioned me to uh, teach this week and next week, and so uh, we're going to, uh, we've got a lot. We have uh, three weeks of material to get through in two weeks. So, uh, uh, Lord willing, we will uh, master that. So, uh, um, good morning, and uh, why don't we open uh, with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you with worship, praise, adoration, thanksgiving. Father, especially do we thank you for another Lord's Day, which is really the best of all of the seven, because it's a preview. Um, not only it is a look back uh, to creation, but especially, Lord, it is a preview of the uh, divine uh, banquet, the, the, uh, the rest that awaits us uh, in glory, where we will worship you forever, without sin, without any hindrance, um, all together in boundless love and joy. And so, Father, we pray that uh, not only during our time of worship, but uh, during this next hour, Lord, as we are instructed in your word, that you would um, uh, indeed do that, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher as we go through this uh, very wonderful and practical uh, book, uh, Lord Jesus, that your brother wrote. Uh, and so, Father, we ask your blessing upon this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, we're in uh, James 3. Uh, uh, Pastor Appleton concluded with verse 12 last week as we were talking about uh, the tongue and uh, all of the pitfalls uh, that so often accompanies it. I'm going to ask people uh, to read uh, certain portions of Scripture uh, as we go through. Uh, I, my aim is to get through uh, chapter 4 today. We'll see how well we do. Um, as always, questions and comments are always welcome. Um, Mr. Kaufman. Yes, sir. Would you read uh, verses, uh, chapter 3 of James, verses 13 to 18 for us? 13 to 18. Yeah, James 3, 13 through 18. <clears throat> Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist... Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Thank you, Ron. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here um, in these last few verses of chapter 3, James is talking about Wisdom, of course, the book of Proverbs. Uh, that that that, all, that book is about, isn't it? Um, now, um, the opposite, of course, biblically, of being wise is being a fool. Um, not just in terms of intellectual knowledge. That was what impressed the Greeks of Paul's day, right? Uh, you know, knowledge. If, if you knew uh, a lot of stuff, that's what impresses a lot of people today, as well. Um, but it's moral wisdom. It's the knowledge of God. Proverbs 1.7 says what? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the foundation of wisdom. Uh, if you don't have that, then you don't have anything. And not only, of course, is it uh, knowing facts, but it's applying that knowledge and wisdom, uh, that knowledge to our lives. Uh, that's the biblical uh, notion of wisdom. Of course, um, having said that, many people, uh, biblically, you know, having said that with many people with PhDs today uh, that impress so many people in our time uh, are considered by God to be fools, right? Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools, all right? This is the situation of many today in our culture. 
uh, great uh, uh, letters after their name, but uh, teaching, you know, foolishness, all right? Um, wisdom is uh, shown not by just what you know, but by showing it by good conduct done in meekness, not in arrogance. Um, you know, again, as in chapter 2, whenever James says, well, you, know, you say you have faith, how do, how do I know that? You have to show me your faith by your works, by your conduct. Well, here it's the same with wisdom. You say you're wise, you claim to be wise, show it by your deeds, show it by your conduct. And don't parade it, don't uh, be uh, um, arrogant about it, but uh, parade it in meekness. Again, as in several other uh, parts of this epistle, uh, we see James' relationship, his filial relationship to Jesus come through, right? Obviously, James heard time and time again uh, Jesus talking about, you know, blessed are the meek, the importance of uh, humility. Now, meekness, of course, is misunderstood by our culture. People think that it's weakness. It isn't. It's strength under control. It's using restraint. Uh, it, it, it's, um, you know, the opposite of this, of course, is um, selfish envy and self-seeking in our hearts, which, um, you know, uh, uh, of course, manifests itself outwardly eventually and uh, seems to be more and more the hallmark of our society, right? Particularly politically. I'm sure there are going to be families around this nation getting together for Thanksgiving and arguing um, about politics or whatever. Uh, I've heard, sadly, of families uh, who won't even speak to each other because of their different uh, polar opposites uh, politically and in, in other kinds of situations, too. A very, very sad um, state of affairs. Now, this wisdom um, is earthly, of this world, sensual, you know, and, and not just referring to sexual matters, though certainly that, but also just of this world, and demonic, or of the devil, all right? I can't think of this, uh, but I think, help but think of the Speaker of the House um, being looked down upon immediately when he was voted uh, in a, a couple weeks ago. He was portrayed in a newspaper article. There was a picture of Noah's Ark, and that article implied that anyone who would believe that in this day and age is not to be is not fit to be um, in such a high office. You know this this kind of arrogance, this mockery. Uh, what is the wisdom of our days? What is the wisdom of the world? Uh, I remember Brandon Pickett a few years ago in Sunday school said that the wisdom of the world says, uh, as James White says, that we're nothing more than chemicals fizzing in a glass. Um, that uh, there is no God, that uh, nothing created everything, um, and that we can be uh, boys today and girls tomorrow, or men today, women tomorrow, uh, that men can marry men and women can marry women, uh, and that death is the end of everything. That's the wisdom of this world. And, you know, it, of course, science says it, so it must be true, right? Um, Confusion and every evil thing are the result, as we see here and around the world. Okay? Now, contrast this with the wisdom from God, the wisdom from above. First of all, it's pure. It's holy. It's, it's uh, of good moral character. It's undefiled. It's complete. Next, it's peaceable. It seeks peace, all right? And it's not just peace being the absence of conflict, but it's uh, peace in the biblical sense, um, goodwill, um, contentment. It's reasonable. It's not combative and unnecessarily confrontive, unlike our political climate today and around the world, all right? It's gentle. It's meek, again. It's willing to yield, all right? It's willing to uh, be reasonable and uh, listen to uh, someone 
on the other side. Now, it's not compromising. We have to be careful there that we don't go that route, as many of the liberal churches are doing today on all kinds of biblical issues. It's not to be compromising or wishy-washy, um, but it doesn't seek unnecessary confrontation or an argument, if it can be avoided. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says that we're to live at peace with all men, if possible. It's not always possible. Uh, we even know that Paul and Barnabas got into it uh, and had to uh, uh, part ways. But it's also without partiality. We see that in James, the beginning of James 2, don't we? Uh, of, uh, you know, people, well, treating the rich uh, with more deference and favor than the poor. Uh, we see that also in uh, politics today. No, we're not to do that. And it's supposed to be without hypocrisy. It's not compromising the truth. It's not accepting bribes, uh, bribes or whatever. But it's done with honesty and genuineness. It's peace is the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12 says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And so uh, that is very, very important. Um, and of course, when we get into chapter 4, we're going to see the uh, opposite, unfortunately, in the church uh, of uh, James Day. Uh, but before we go there, does anybody have any questions or comments? Okay, very good. Um, would someone like to read verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 for us? Chapter 4 of James, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it, John. Thanks, Eddie. As soon as I find it. Okay. 1 to 6? Yeah. Pride promotes strife. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war was in your member members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. <clears throat> you fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, thank you, Denny. All right, so in chapter 3, of course, James talks about the importance of peace, but the opposite seems to be the case uh, in the church in uh, which uh, James uh, pastored. Um, uh, you know, with at least with some of the members. Now, it's important to realize and to know that James is addressing believers here. Okay, he's not addressing unbelievers. You know, we, we have a tendency to think, oh, how wonderful it would have been to be uh, a part of the first century church. Uh, well, we know that the church of Corinth had many problems. And there were problems in uh, most of the epistles of Paul are written uh, to churches that had a lot of problems. Heresies and the like. And apparently there was the problem of uh, factions and arguing and quarreling. War, um, even. Uh, fighting in this particular church, all right? Um, and we're tempted to think that this can't apply to us, but it certainly can. Um, you know, fights and quarrels can occur in Christian homes and in congregations. I've heard of the churches that had to disband because of uh, fighting and uh, division in the congregations. Um, and it stems, James says, from the desires for pleasure that war in our members. Not individual church members here, but in our uh, bodily members. Now, uh, I, I, the pleasure is going to be brought up later in this chapter. There's nothing inherently wrong with pleasure. 
Remember what Ray said uh, a couple months ago in one of his sermons. You know, if pleasure were wrong, then we should strive to, with all of our might to go to hell, right? Where there won't be any pleasure at all. No, of course not. Uh, Psalm 16.11 says, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Eternal pleasure. But it's when we seek it for selfish ambition, selfish gain, um, just to uh, indulge ourselves. That's where the problem comes in. And of course we know that the Spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh against the Holy Spirit, um, as it says in Galatians 5. And of course the result is what? Lust? Not just sexual lust, but greed, covetousness, right? Uh, murder, even. Um, can a Christian be capable of murder? Well, we're, we've all committed murder in our hearts, haven't we? We've all been angry with someone uh, unjustly. And, of course, uh, who is uh, the uh, classic Old Testament example of a believer who committed murder? David, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So it, it can happen. Whether there was murder, uh, literal murder, we don't know. As a matter of fact, uh, there are uh, some of the uh, commentators, uh, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Matthew Henry, uh, did not think that uh, there was murder going on there. And so they translate the word envy uh, instead of murder. However, uh, my understanding, of course, at least, at least according to uh, William Hendrickson, is that the word in the Greek is murder, all right? But again, is not envy murder? Is not hatred of someone or anger with someone murder? Absolutely. And covetousness is a heart sin as well. The only one of the Ten Commandments that is indeed a sin of the heart. Okay. You do not have because you do not ask. And of course the implication there is that you do not ask God in prayer. And how many of us, me personally, you know, I stand guilty as charged. Uh, I'm guilty of not going to God and coming before Him a lot of times with my petitions. Now, our Lord certainly included those kinds of petitions. Uh, uh, petitions, uh, material positions, uh, positions for um, physical and material well-being in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not the priority of the prayer, but it's in there. Because he knows that we need those things. Um, you know, it's not wrong to ask for material things. It's not wrong to ask for uh, physical comfort or whatever. Um, I can um, remember the Lord answering uh, prayers uh, of those of mine a few years ago, for example, when... Um, I didn't have a computer, which I need for uh, work at home, for all the music that I do, etc. Um, and, uh, you know, I prayed, and you know, the Lord was gracious enough to provide me uh, with that. When I was in the hospital a few years ago with uh, my heart attack, I, it was a few days before Christmas, and I desperately wanted to be home for Christmas. The Lord granted those things. That's wonderful. That's fine. Um, but, you know, for, for of course... Um, more importantly, for funds, uh, for missionaries, uh, etc. Um, but we need to be sure that we do not ask wrongly. There is a wrong way to petition the Lord. Though Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, you know, Jesus said that you ask, you don't receive, because you ask amiss, you ask wrongly. There's a wrong way to ask. Of course, there's a wrong way to ask if we come to the Lord and just demand something of Him. And we don't demand anything from the Lord. We come reverently. But there's also, uh, James said, you don't ask because you, know, you ask wrongly to spend it on your own pleasure. Greedy motives. Okay? Um, you know, the Word of Faith movement is like that, right? Um, it's incredible that so many people give to these ministries. These kinds of ministry, you know, name it and claim it, gra grab it and blab it, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, um, and in James, in, in verse 4, James does not mince words, does he? Adulterers and adulteresses. I don't think he's talking about literal adultery here, um, but he's talking about spiritual adultery. And we are all 
guilty of it. You know, yours truly included uh, to some degree. In the Old Testament, idolatry is repeatedly called spiritual adultery, time and time again. All right? Now, we may not worship golden calves or Baal or Ashtaroth. You know, we're coming uh, very close to the time of year where I wonder sometimes if people worship uh, Santa Claus. Uh, certainly give him godlike attributes, don't, don't we? Uh, you know, the see you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we chide Catholics for their statues and devotion to Mary. But we can be guilty of idolatry and not even know it. We can be guilting, after all, what is idolatry? It's worshipping and setting our hopes on someone or something other than God for our fulfillment and well-being. And we can be guilty of that and not even realize it. All right? A lot of people, for example, today worship the environment. Right? Um, you know, I don't know how much of climate change is true or not, but I think that... Uh, you know, people want to take us back to the uh, dark ages uh, and uh, endanger the well-being of many people because they worship the environment. But what about us? Comfort, right? Convenience, sports, reputation, um, manifesting itself a lot of times in worrying, right? Oh, you know, where is my next paycheck going to come from? Or... Uh, you know, etc., etc. All right. Do you not know, James says, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's the world system. You know, it's it's the uh, thinking of our culture. Uh, you know, survival of the fittest that uh, Darwin started. Uh, you know, dog eat dog, every man for himself. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as uh, it says in 1 John 2. You know, all of the things that, uh, you know, we just have in, in America that uh, just go haywire. That result, you know, I mean, gambling and sports, uh, you know, how, how sports is just more and more into that kind of thing. And just the, uh, you know, secular kind of mindset. That this is all there is. Alright? Friendship is the world of, with the world is nothing less than being an enemy of God. Hostility to Him. Alright? We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And that is not always easy. We can be very much sucked in to the mentality of the world if we're not careful. Alright? A friend of the world is an enemy of God. All right? Now, verse 5 is problematic interpretively. Um, it says uh, that, uh, uh, Denny, would you read, uh, do you have uh, that in front of you again? Sure. Uh, verse 5, would you read that for us? Or do you not think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit, capital S, who dwells in us yearns jealously. Okay, does anybody have a different translation of that verse in another translation? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Oh, over the spirit with a small s, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that yeah, that's... Um, uh, and there are other translations that say the spirit with a small s yearns jealously. Um, okay, Number one, that particular, it says the scripture says it, but that's nowhere to be found in the Old Testament, that, that particular quotation. But that's a scripture that, uh, for some reason, has been lost to us, all right? It seems that the closest thing that we have to it are the passages where God is said to be a jealous God, um, whose name is jealous, etc. But then, there's the problem of interpretation, um, whether that... Uh, the word spirit should be referring to the Holy Spirit, and of course the New King James and the King James take it as such. So did John Calvin, all right? Um, you know, that this is the, 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, yearns, uh, uh, who dwell in, dwells in us and yearns jealously. In other words, the translators believe that James here is talking about the Holy Spirit yearning jealously for our devotion and undivided allegiance, and therefore uh, we are not to um, commit idolatry and not to be friends of the world. Uh, okay? But other translations, uh, such as the ESV and the NIV, um, have the word spirit um, with a small s, referring to our spirits, our souls, which are sinful, though redeemed, and which tend toward idolatry, toward envy and jealousy and friendship with the world. Or, um, in, in the translation I believe that Suzanne read, it said that uh, he, uh, God, yearns uh, jealously with our spirits. And so, uh, um, you know, again, we have that interpretation. So it's a hard, um, it's a hard uh, passage to interpret. Um, Matthew Henry uh, believes the, uh, the latter interpretation, that this is referring to our sinful spirits, our souls. Um, not a hill to die on, but I would go along with Calvin on this. Uh, that God yearns for us. Uh, he is jealous for us and uh, wants our undivided allegiance and does not want us to be uh, friends uh, with the world. All right? And, and the reason that I feel that way is verse 6. But he gives more grace. Isn't it wonderful that to know that no matter how sinful we are, no matter how we uh, go astray, that the Holy Spirit gives more grace in order to help us in our weakness, in our struggle with sin and idolatry and worldliness, and you know, to increase our dependence upon God. We can't conquer these sins in our own strength. There's no way that we can. No, the Holy Spirit gives us more grace. All right? Um, what, you, know, you know, we're like Peter and the disciples on the night before the Lord's crucifixion. You know, you know everybody else might uh, desert you, Lord, but I won't. And then what happens a few hours later? You know, yeah. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, if any of you have ever read Mere Christianity, there's a, uh, by C.S. Lewis, uh, there's a chapter on there which I think is uh, probably the most important chapter in the book on pride. And uh, it's worth your time to read it. It's, uh, you know, how, how horrible pride is. Pride caused Lucifer to become Satan. The Pharisees were proud and self-righteous. They didn't think they needed to be baptized by John, and they didn't need the Lord Jesus because they thought they were good. And if we ever get to that point, we're in real trouble. All right? Um, you know, we are to be humble. The humility, of course, is a gift from God to begin with, because we're not by nature humble. But God gives grace to be humble, and he gives us more grace in order that we will be more humble. All right? Uh, it's a quotation from Proverbs 3, verse 34 there. All right? So um, the key to um, the Christian life, Augustine said, is humility, humility, and humility. All right. Would someone read verses 7 through 12 for us? I can give it to you out of the King James. That's fine. All right. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. 
But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Oh, I love the King's English. Thank you, Jim. Love it. Okay. Okay. Therefore, um, I'm going to go back to um, the New King James here. Therefore, submit to God. Okay? Um, he gives grace. You know, we, we're all uh, guilty at, at times of uh, idolatry, of being tempted to uh, be friends of the world and the world system. Submit to God. Of course, sometimes he gives trials um, in order that we do submit to him. And we're to submit to him in humility. All right? Um, I love what uh, John Gerstner uh, said once, and uh, I'm going to uh, be a smart aleck here and imitate him. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is a sign under heaven. Let none who are proud enter here. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. That's right. That says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh huh. Submit to God in obedience during trials, during temptations, and especially when things are going well, because it's when things are going well that we're really tempted to uh, forget or ignore God, right? Um, and that's very applicable, uh, particularly applicable, applicable to the next verse, um, you know, or the next part of the verse. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It reminds me of what uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, um, 10. It says that no temptation, but that which is common to man... But God will make a way of escape so that we will be able to bear under it. And it's a matter of resisting the devil. And how did Jesus resist the devil? With scripture. It is written. That's the importance of knowing the word of God, isn't it? So that when temptations do come, we don't succumb to them, but we say, you know, it is written. Now, it uh, I, I remember with uh, Mitch, our uh, uh, former associate pastor before Rick came along, said, a lot of people say that God won't give you anything more than you can handle. No, I think that that's the opposite. A lot of times God does um, give us more than we can handle, whether it be temptation. Well, you know, we've got to be careful there because God doesn't tempt anyone, but sometimes in his providence he allows temptations to come into our lives or trials, or whatever. But sometimes God does give us more than we can handle so that we depend upon Him. Right? And uh, that we are humble. Conversely, we are to draw near to God, or nigh, as the King James says, and He will draw near to us. That is a great comfort, isn't it? A tremendous promise uh, of God. You know, it's... Um, a, a promise of comfort and assurance that no matter how fierce the struggle or conflict or trial or temptation, and even when we've fallen into our sin, into sin, no matter how terrible the assaults of the evil one are, draw near to God. A lot of times when we sin, we are ashamed to draw near to God, and yet He is the one that we need the most at those times. We draw near to God, and we have the assurance that God will draw near to us. He is our rock. He is our refuge. By constantly drawing near to God, Martin Luther could say, when he experienced the assault of the devil, Oh, it's you. It's you. And he rested in Christ. All right? Um, you know, uh, and then, of course, James uh, goes into repentance and mourning over our sin. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record, uh, you know, and records are coming back, by the way. <laughs> I, I saw it uh, at the Walmart the other day. But anyway, um, you know, uh, Jesus uh, said, right, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. He's not talking primarily about like mourning at a, uh, uh, the death of a loved one or something at a funeral. It, it certainly can include that. But it's talking about mourning over our sin. All right? Um, even though we're united to Christ, we still sin. We're still sinners who must repent of being double-minded at times. You know, one foot in the world, or one foot uh, with, with Christ, so to speak. Um, you know, um, and so we're to um, cleanse our hands and our hearts, every part of us. Um, and it may involve lamentation and mourning and weeping over our sin. I have to admit that that is something that I don't do enough. And I, I think that we have to be careful. I know that, um, you know, this is something that could be an overreaction. It, 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 certainly it goes against the grain of our society, doesn't it? Um, you know, and our nature. We like to uh, laugh. We like to be entertained. We like to be amused. The last thing that we like is to cry or to mourn. And sometimes that may be um, necessary. Hey, Don. Yes, Denny. Can I make a comment? Sure. Um, a word of encouragement uh, as we discuss this whole chapter. Uh, I think we can take comfort in the fact that as believers in God, we do lament over our sins and we acknowledge our sins. Yes. And we seek to uh, repent. And that's totally different from, from the world, isn't it? Very much so. The world doesn't acknowledge this, this sin and, you know, even <clears throat> lament over their sin. So, right. you know, if, if we as believers do acknowledge our sins and wish to repent, you know, it's, it just, it just uh, encourages us that God is working on us. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely, because it's the Holy Spirit who um, convicts us of our sins and helps us see the, the uh, gravity of it. You know, it's not a penance. It's not something that we earn, you know. I, I think sometimes maybe we have an overreaction to the Roman Catholic uh, teaching of penance, that you know, you've got to be particularly sorry and afflict yourself and everything like that. And yet, there is um, a... Uh, sense in which we are, and Denny, you pointed this out, that we do uh, mourn over our sin, that we do lament over it and can't wait to be rid of it, and we have the promise that one day we will be. And um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, and the purpose of this, and, and Denny, you brought this out, is that God will lift us up. It's not that we're masochists. It's not that we like to stay down in the doldrums. Have you ever met people Oh, you know, woe is me. I'll never, I'll never be, uh, there's nothing good in me. You know, I think that sometimes people like to wallow in, in their, um, uh, their despondency. Uh, no, the purpose of this is that God will lift us up. He'll exalt us. Again, the words of Jesus come to mind. You know, um, not only blessed are those who mourn, but he who... Um, exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Not that we're earning anything, but it's the great promise of God that uh, he will um, lift us up in due time. That's the difference between the accusation of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, the accusation of Satan would want us to um, continue in our despondency. That would happen to Judas, right? He didn't go to the Lord in repentance for what he had done. He committed suicide. He hanged himself. Peter, on the other hand, who was really guilty of the same sin and arguably could say worse because he swore and cursed along with it and did it three times, but he wept bitterly and returned to the Savior. Of course, Jesus had prayed for him for that regard too, but... Uh, yeah, so uh, the Holy Spirit always convicts with the, um, uh, with the aim that we will be exalted and lifted up by God.
Okay. And not in, if not in this life, then certainly in the next. Okay. And then um, in verses 11 through 12, um, we have, uh, sorry, Denny. Uh, um, James returned to the importance of the tongue. Okay. Uh, we need to have things repeated to us uh, time and time again. Notice the loving address again. Brethren, these are his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, these are Christians struggling with sin. It's a warning against speaking evil of one another. It's a warning against slander and gossip. Um, you know, how many times have we said, well, I want you to pray for this person, and then we uh, go into a gossip session about this person, about something that nobody needs to know. Um, speaking evil of one another is not what we are to do. And we're not to judge critically. Um, you know, we're, we're, um, we're to take other things into account with a critical uh, spirit of self-righteousness. All right? This is what James means here by not judging your brother. Um, this is also what Jesus means in Matthew 7, 1, the, the, the verse that non-Christians like so much. <laughs> Judge not, lest you be judged, right? How many times have you heard uh, people uh, quote that verse whenever uh, you're confronting them uh, of their sin? Oh, wait, Judge not, lest you be judged. No, that, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We are, we're obviously to make judgments. In fact, Jesus even said in another place that uh, we're to judge not according to appearance, but according to righteous judgment. In that same chapter where he says, judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7, he also talks about, you know, beware of uh, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inward, uh, inwardly a ravenous wolf. He said, don't uh, cast your pearl before swine. Well, how are you to know? Uh, you've already made a judgment that such a person is in that category, right? He was obviously not talking literally about swine or dogs, uh, you know, or wolves. Uh, how, how are you to know that such a person uh, is a false teacher and in that category you have already made a judgment of some kind? But it's this critical spirit, you know, nitpicking every single little thing or, you know, judging motives. We don't know the motives of anyone. Only God knows, at least sometimes they manifest themselves, but only God knows the heart, all right? Um, and so, uh, you know, we are to confront a brother who is in sin. That's what elders do, uh, church discipline, right? But we're to do it in love, with the spirit of, uh, and the view of restoration and forgiveness in mind, okay? Um, and we're especially not to judge one another um, with things that are um, questionable, that are not sins in and of themselves, all right? Um, if, we are, if we do judge someone in that regard, James says that we judge the law, and thus we come into judgment against God who gave the law, all right? God alone is the ultimate judge. And we have to be very careful um, that, that we don't uh, judge our brothers where we're not supposed to. Okay? Um, I cannot say, for example, um, you know, that, uh, that we only know um, that Judas is in hell. Now, I can be, you know, I mean, I would think that Hitler would be or whatever, but again, we, we don't know who's in heaven and who's in hell. Um, I like to tease some people and saying, well, I'm sure about me and thee, and I'm not even sure about thee. I say that tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> and of course, i got to be careful because uh, one brother rebuked me for that and said, and I'm not even sure sometimes about me. So, uh, but, but anyway, uh, we are to be very careful that we don't have a critical spirit um, with one another. Okay. Um, Ron, would you read uh, verses 13 through 17 of James chapter 4? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, 
spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay, thank you. All right. Now, if critical or harmful speech uh, are forbidden in verses 11 through 12, presumptuous or boastful speech is forbidden in verses 13 through 17. Now, obviously... You know, the Lord is not teaching here, and James is not teaching here, that we're not to plan for the future. That would be foolish not to. Even our Lord said, you know, count the cost in coming to me. You know, uh, weigh uh, everything. And uh, we're, we're, we're certainly not to be hasty in our decisions. Uh, the uh, book of Proverbs time and time again talks about that, and diligence and all that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting the the uh, words in the King in the New King James. It says, "Come now." Uh, other translations say, "Listen," uh, or you know, "Pay attention." I, I think of uh, Charles Stanley. He used to say, "Listen, listen." Uh, that's what uh, James is saying here. Um, you know, um, but you know, the the people that he's addressing are those who say, "Well, we're going to go somewhere here. We're going to do this." or that, uh, you know, make a profit, or whatever, uh, with no thought of God in these matters. Uh, James may have had in mind Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke, who built bigger and bigger barns to store his wealth, and all of a sudden he dies and stands before God. All right? And that's the point of this passage. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The old saying is what? That tomorrow... His promise to no one. All right, we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Um, you know, I think of examples. I'm sure the people on uh, September 11, 2001, as they were going about their business, had no idea that they would be with the Lord that day, as the planes uh, um, attacked the World Trade Center and. Uh, crashed in uh, Shanksville and the Pentagon. Sandy Higgs had no idea on her vacation in Aruba that she would be with the Lord um, that day. Uh, I didn't know, for example, that I would have the heart attack that I had a couple years ago. No, no, none of us. I mean, none of us know what the future holds. And so, our life is a vapor, James said, which vanishes away compared to eternity. You know, what are a few years? What are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years compared to eternity? Isaiah 40 talks about that quite a bit. You know, we're a vapor. The grass withers and the flower fades. And it's only those who know the Lord who endure forever. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills. Now, that can be a cliche. I realize that. It can be overused, just like anything else. But we should have that spirit, that attitude, right? We need, as R.C. Sproul uh, often said, to live our lives quorum Deo, always in the presence of God, always conscious that God is in our midst and with us and Lord, you know, is that action, is that thought, is what I'm going to do in accordance with what you would have me do and realize that uh, God can take us or bring situations into our lives that we didn't expect um, anytime he desires. But arrogant, presumptuous boasting is evil. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that without uh, any uh, reference to God is forbidden. And again, 
James addresses us in this regard because it's so easy to have that kind of mindset, isn't it, as we go about our day, as we go about life. And then he concludes that in this regard, um, you know, or any other uh, regard, any, any other thing regarding sin, if we know to do good and don't do it, it is sin. Plain and simple. So, uh, again, uh, you know, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement that, you know, James knows, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we do sin, that we as Christians struggle with sin and even do sin. And praise God that we have a Savior who keeps on forgiving. Oh, I, yes, Denny. Uh, we hear from the pulpit when uh, our, our, our ministers uh, speak about confessing our sins. Yes. Uh, they speak about commission and omission. Mm-hmm. Omission is not doing the things that we should do. And, and if we search our hearts, and I search my heart, there's lots of things that I, I don't do that would be oh, good. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, uh, praise God that we are covered with uh, the righteousness of Christ and uh, that we stand uh, faultless in Him. Uh, though sinners. What did Martin Luther say? At the same time that we're just and sinners and that's a great comfort, but we strive uh, to uh, become more and more conformed to Christ and long for that day when we will be totally free of sin. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Any other comments or questions before we conclude this morning? Okay. um, So, uh, I will be here next week, and we will, uh, we're going to uh, uh, do chapter 5 uh, of this book. So, uh, Denny, would you close us in prayer, please? Sure. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this special day that we could worship you in, in the Word and in truth. Because you have given us your Word. You have given us your Spirit that we can worship rightly, not because of ourselves, but because of because of you. I, I pray that we would be attentive uh, to, uh, to you as we sing praises to you, as we pray to you, as we listen to your word preached. May it be a blessing to us, and, a, and it may be instructive to us, and cause us to find comfort in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you.